Maverick Green Senator Lydia Thorpe has announced she is quitting the party. Now I will be able to speak freely on all issues from a sovereign perspective without being constrained by portfolios and agreed party positions. Look, she made her decision. I feel sad about it. I'd hope that she would stay in the party, including as our First Nations spokesperson. They could introduce the voice by way of legislation tomorrow. <coughs> A devastating earthquake that's killed more than 20,000 people across Turkey and Syria. It's only right that Australia is part of the international effort that is very strong to support what is a, a huge humanitarian crisis unfurling before our eyes. Yeah, look, I'm not sure that the government is contemplating creating a domestic surveillance camera industry. If they are, I'd be interested to hear about their plans. We're going to fix problem gambling in this state, which is a scourge on our society. As the member for Aston, Mr Tudge says his children have suffered as a result of his job. They've had to put up with things that no teenager should have to, including death threats. The well, the first sitting week of Parliament has seen the departure of one MP, a shuffling of seats in the Senate and a government minister bruised by revelations. She accepted donations from a gambling company. I've got just the experts to help us navigate this jungle. Co-host of the Party Room podcast and host of Frankly on ABC TV, it's Fran Kelly and former federal Liberal member for the South Australian Division of Sturt and Minister for several portfolios in his time in government, including Defence. It's Christopher Pine. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Andy. Hello there. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Andy. Let's, Hello, Fran. Let's start yesterday with the nine papers. It was a pretty good scoop revealing that Communications Minister Michelle Rowland received $19,000 in donations from Sportsbet on the eve of last year's election when she was Shadow Minister in charge of online betting. Fran, these donations didn't breach the disclosure threshold, uh, so she hasn't breached any rules here as far as we understand. But as I put to Andrew Wilkie on Drive yesterday, is this another failure of the pub test in your view? I think it's probably a failure of the pub test. Whether that's enough for a minister to resign, I don't know. I doubt it. What it is clearly a failure of is the electoral donation laws. And, you know, everyone has known that for a long time. Um, state governments, by and large, I think all of them now, I think, have reformed their laws and tightened them up. And I don't think, um, certainly in New South Wales, but I don't think abetting uh, agencies are allowed to give donations and certainly donations of this amount. Um, and these, uh, we know, are law changes that need to be brought in federally. And this is a great example of that. Will she Will she lose her ministry over this? She's operated within the rules. As I say, it's the rules of the problem. I guess it depends how hard the crossbench goes. Christopher will perhaps have a better nose for this than me, but I think she was the shadow minister at the time, not the minister. I think as minister, she should never take another donation from uh, Sportsbet or any of those betting agencies. Um, and also, I mean, it wasn't just the donations. There's also, you know, accepting invitations to events and things. I think ministers should be far more careful about those things than they are. Um, and there's always that rule, that, that sort of argument about, oh, well, you know, ministers have to have to mix with their stakeholders. That's true. But, you know, there's certain 
is there certain elements of their stakeholders that they should be keeping more than arm's distance from, and I think that online gambling is one of them. For the record, Wilkie says uh, she uh, he thinks that she breached two sections of the new code of conduct for ministers, even despite her being shadow at the time, as you rightly pointed out, and that there is that sort of pattern of behaviour because she did accept hospitality from other gambling companies. Christopher yeah, that's Pine... what I'm saying. I mean, just on that, I, I, I've since seen other interpretations that it wasn't a breach because she wasn't a minister at the time. But, yeah. you know, this is really arguing about the test, and I'm sure the pub wouldn't think much of that um, because it's, you know, a perception of conflict of interest is a major problem for any pol- pol- politician, senior politician particularly. Christopher Pine, Andrew Wilkie is going to introduce a private member's bill to address these AEC disclosure issues. Do, do you think it's time that all parties got behind reforms, as Fran suggests? Oh, look, I think there, with respect to Michelle Rowland, I think there's two aspects to it that um, uh, Michelle, that uh, Fran hasn't uh, touched on that I would like to touch on briefly. One, I think, is that there is a different rule for ministers than there is for shadow ministers because ministers have executive power uh, over the rules, regulations and laws that pertain to things like the gambling or online betting industry. And as a consequence, if she was a minister, um, she would be able to directly affect um, the remuneration or the profits of the of that industry. So she wasn't a minister when she accepted these um, donations. So that's there is a different test for ministers, and there should be. And uh, I have no doubt that Michelle Rowland wouldn't accept donations in her current role. Um, and I think the second question is: um, Has Michelle Rowland done anything uh, as a minister that has impacted positively uh, on the profits uh, of the? online betting industry since she became minister? I think the answer to that is no. And uh, if the opposition could show that, uh, in fact, she had uh, changed the laws or regulations or gone soft on the online betting industry or or done something in order to influence them in a positive way that would have impact on their profits positively, then yes, I think she would be in strife. But if there's no smoking gun uh, along those lines, I, I think it would be unlikely for her to to go under the chariot wheels uh, of politics. Of course, if she was a Liberal minister, I think the, the, a lot of the media would be baying for her scalp. Um, but at the moment, the government is uh, is very still much in the honeymoon period, and I think you know being forgiven a great deal. Whether the law should be changed. Look, mm, well, you sorry, know, sorry finish that. You know, you go ahead on the laws. I just want to ask just you quickly, from your experience so, as a minister. So on the laws, you know, the Andrew Wilkie would basically ban donations altogether, I think, if he had his chance. I mean, I know Andrew very well and I have a great deal of time for him, but he has a, a lot of shtick around donations. I think we have amongst the tightest electoral laws in the world in Australia and uh, there'll always be people who say they're not tight enough. Uh, but I think if you want to support a the party of your choice with your financial after-tax income, then I think you should be entitled to do so. It makes you part of the political process. It doesn't make you corrupt. Fran Kelly. No, that's true. But just on that, in terms of our whether our laws are tight enough, I mean, $1,500 is the threshold um, over which you have to donate. I think that's right. I mean, which you have to declare. Is that correct? No, no. So tax deductibility, I think, is less than $1,500. The tax threshold, the declaration threshold is about 14667 14, I beg your pardon. And the states yeah. have dropped that down to much lower and there is yeah. a cause for it to drop down to $1,500. And to and be I in real time it. as well, which is what Andrew and Wilkie's claim about the federal laws is lacking. 
And I think I'm right in saying that that is actually Labor's policy now, but they haven't moved on as far as I know yet in government. But this is a change that should happen. Don't you agree, Christopher? What's the what's wrong with real-time declaration and what would be wrong with, with reducing that threshold to just make it a lot fairer and a lot clearer? I mean, I don't is, think there's anything particularly wrong about that. I mean, I think transparency well, then we should is, do is it. no... There's no problem with transparency, but I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, for example, if you're going to drop down the um, record, the the figure for transparency for declarations, mm. well, then unions should have to ask the permission of their members uh, whether they want their union dues to be donated to political parties, uh, because I don't think that union members should have their give their union fees to the union, and the union supports the Labor Party. Uh, they should have to ask them whether they would like them to do that. I think you'd find a lot of union members would tick the box saying, no, thank you, I don't want my union dues used for political donations. So if you're going to have reform that damages the Liberal Party because a lot of small businesses and individuals are frightened to give donations to the Liberal Party or the National Pay that will be declared because they think that they'll pay the price uh, from unions or others in the Labor who support the Labor movement. So uh, that needs to be open and transparent. And I'm sure a lot of small businesses uh, don't like giving money that will be declared over $15,000 because they know that they'll get a visit from the union saying, what are you doing that for? Okay, so if, you, uh, yeah. if you're going to have one rule for the changes that hurt the, the conservative side of politics, you've got to have changes that mean that union members should be able to tick a box saying, no, I don't want my union dues being donated to the Labor Party, or yes, I do, but I'm happy for that to happen. I do okay, want to, a, I do need to move Andrew, on. Can I just go back just to quickly. the, just, just quickly back to the Michelle Rowland case. Christopher, in your position as a minister, you know, what was your line about um, accepting events or accepting hospitality from stakeholders, for instance, if you were Defence Minister from a Defence Industries? You know, how? Wh- where's the antenna for ministers like that? And how? And do some well, have a uh, stricter when rules I was than a others? Minister, when I was a minister, I would never accept a donation from a defence contracting firm for my campaign. Uh, however, if I was invited to, you know, go to the headquarters of a defence company to, uh, you know, attend an opening or whatever it might be, I would definitely do it if I was asked to What about to a tennis in. match? I don't think I did that. No, I don't remember. Well, I know, sorry, I've never been to a tennis match with a with a contractor. No, definitely not. Um, if uh, if I was asked to come to a board meeting or a, or a lunch in a, in a large contractor to talk about defence industry policy or defence policy, I would do it, but I wouldn't accept any any donation to do so or any money to do so. And I would be hard-pressed to think of any event I attended on behalf of defence contractors. If they are, they'll be on the register of interest because, you know, I was attending so many different things. As a minister, attending any more for pleasure was, you know, there wasn't much time in the schedule, friend, to be honest, okay. to go to the tennis or to go to the football. We are going to have to move on. There has been other things happening this week we need to cover. Of course, there's some staff movements in Parliament House. Fran can't stop. Fran, exactly. Fran, well, that goes for you too, Christopher. Subject. You can sit back <laughs> oh, down no, as well. Oh, hard, Andy. Sorry. Alan Tudge oh, resigned, uh, citing the pressures of the job and his family and personal well-being. Uh, I mean, he was pretty much MIA during the election. Campaign. I don't think he did one interview or even uh, was on the hustings at all. Uh, Fran, was his departure inevitable? 
Uh, I think his departure was inevitable. I think, uh, as you say, he was almost MIA in the run-up to the election and that was noted. And, you know, he was, you know, taking time out from his – time off from his cabinet position, even though there was that confusing thing during the election where Scott Morrison said he still was the, the minister and it was very confusing. Um, his career had been stymied. His career was going to go nowhere, and um, now there's just, there's analysis of whether his he you know the, the sort of the the um, the scandals, if you like, are around him cost the Liberal Party in Aston. I think they lost more than seven percent of the vote. Labor took seven percent of the vote, seven point eight or something of the vote of them in Aston. He still held the seat by two point eight percent. Whether that was a touch factor or whether that was just you know the, the the Liberals lost a lot of skin in a lot of those seats in Melbourne, in metropolitan Melbourne, in the last election, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure another cab another candidate would have done better than Alan Tudge. I'm not clear on that. I'd be interested to know what, what Christopher thinks. But, yes, I think it was an in, inevitable. And, and I also think this is an, an absolutely very difficult and important test for Peter Dutton and the Libs um, this by-election. Yeah, It'll you, be very closely scrutinised. Do you expect, Sir Christopher, that Peter Dutton will venture south this campaign in the uh, by-election of Aston? Look, I don't know um, what his plans will. will be. Well, I hope he, he said does. he will today, um, yeah. I think, you know, the reality is that, that when Peter Dutton challenged Malcolm Turnbull in 2018, you know, there was a very much a one-dimensional view of Peter Dutton because he'd been the Home Affairs Minister and Immigration Minister and he was sort of rather flint, flint-faced, if you like, to use an old expression. Um, I think people were seeing a lot more about Peter Dutton since the last election and we'll see a great deal more over the the next two years and I think he's actually doing a good job holding the show together and having been through opposition when we lost an election uh, and seen three leaders in three years, you know, I know that that is not an easy task. Um, uh, back in what was 2007 to 2010, uh, look, I, I think Alan Tudge, one of the reasons that he ran for Aston last year was to, I think, show, and I haven't spoken to him about this, I, I, I hasten to add, was to show that the voters of Aston uh, still believed uh, in him, uh, that he could still win his seat and that he'd been, if you like, sort of forgiven in inverted commas for the unfortunate imbroglio in which he was involved um, over the course of the previous 12 months. And I think he, he did prove that. And I think he probably hoped that that would be put behind him and that he would be able to uh, sort of restart, reset and restart his career. But I think the the constant trolling and, and attacks on himself and his family, you know, have got to him and it, it happens. You know, it's social media is pretty hideous um, when it's hideous. Uh, when it's good, it's great. But when it's bad, it's terrible. And I think uh, that's obviously got to him and he's decided to pull the plug and, you know, he's entitled to do so. Um, Labor would be a good chance in Aston because, you know, the government is still seen to be a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, there are a lot of pressures coming on them now when it comes to things like interest rates and inflation and, and growth and recessions and, and so forth. And the voice, you know, is, is, is less clear today than it was six months ago in terms of how people are reacting to that. So I think it's going to be really interesting. All by-elections are interesting. The government shouldn't win it because governments don't usually, and I think it'll be an interesting contest to watch. 
Yeah, I mean, that notion, I mean, governments don't win by-elections. That's sort of the general rule, the golden rule. So mm. if uh, if Labor wins this one, that will be a big feather in the cap for Anthony Albanese. But they are still slightly in the um, honeymoon phase, perhaps. But also, I mean, you say Peter Dutton, people are seeing sort of a more sides to Peter Dutton. I'm not sure that people in metropolitan Melbourne, given what we saw with the Teals at the last election, some of the sides they're seeing from him are going to resonate very well. I mean, you know, he's not supporting the voices. It's still ambivalent there, and I think there'd be a lot of support for that in in, in a seat perhaps uh, in and around those inner seats of Melbourne and even a seat like Aston, but and also on, you know, the safeguards mechanism, so around the climate issue, Peter Dutton is still reticent. Is is These are the issues that hurt them at the general election. He's not taking any great moves on any of these fronts uh, to change the direction of the party, um, even in the wake of or in response to the, the Teal victories. So I think that's a little inexplicable in a way, and I don't think it bodes well for Aston, but we'll see. But if he loses, I think it's it, there is there are some messages you'd think from the last election that so far Peter Dutton is not. I think, not showing the signs of, of interpreting. We do need to well, move on and talk about the voice. Uh, obviously, the other resignation we saw this week was that of uh, Senator Lydia Thorpe. Uh, by the way, her body language as she strode into the courtyard, I was there this week, was incredible. Her chin held very high. Uh, she obviously parted ways with the Greens to sit on the crossbench. As we know, she's opposed to the voice to Parliament and despite um, Greens leader Adam Bant saying she could maintain, I think he probably did everything he could to keep her in the party, uh, obviously, uh, that didn't work out. Adam Bant has said he's very sad. To, we've heard that word a lot this week. Sad to see Lydia Thorpe go. But within hours of her announcing this, the Greens came out and announced their support for the voice to Parliament. Fran, this issue is clearly a distraction that they could do without, right? Uh, yes, but Lydia Thorpe was a distraction uh, that they could do without too on some fronts. So do you think so, that word of uh, sad is not exactly genuine? Oh, no, I'm, I'm I'm sure there is – I don't know, he said it enough. I'm sure he is sad. He clearly did try to talk her into staying because clearly he thinks, you know, A, no leader wants to lose one of their numbers in the Senate, especially a balanced power – almost balanced power party like the Greens. So I think that's a significant thing. But also, you know, a progressive party doesn't want to be – um, losing, or you know, under with bad blood, it has to be said. A uh, and in one of their only, their only indigenous, um, no, not their only one, but one of the two indigenous senators uh, in their party room. I think that's you know for a progressive party not a great look. So I'm I'm sure he did try and hold on to to Lydia Thorpe, um, but Lydia Thorpe was. A management problem, not just around the voice, but on other areas already for Adam Bant. So, you know, this does in some way simplify matters for him. It certainly simplifies the Greens' position on the voice. He lost almost no time in saying he's leaning in, they're going to be supporting the voice. And, you know, the, the Greens had been really muddy on this and this had really hurt the Yes campaign, I think, so far. Um, so in that sense, it clarifies their position, they're not, not sort of speaking with, with two messages. Um, but I do think they've lost a number. Um, there's, that's one thing. And there's a, a big slice of, of progressive uh, Victoria and, and beyond that, perhaps some elements of the Indigenous community more broadly that agree with Lydia um, Thorpe. So, yeah, so this so, is so, going to be a problem for the Greens at some point so now some, in terms of their base. We have this kind of curious situation where at least as it stands currently, the Coalition's formal position on The Voice is kind of the same as Lydia Thorpe's. At least three major Liberals have publicly advocated their support for the constitutional change this week. Uh, Christopher, do you think Peter Dutton can continue to run this line that he doesn't have enough detail? I mean, that was pretty much the line all summer. 
Well, I think two things about Lydia Thorpe, and then I'll answer that question about Peter Dutton. Um, one, I think it's uh, it sort of shows that the Greens have come of age as a political party when, you know, people can walk out um, and, and don't sit on the cross benches. You know, they're no longer a cottage industry party, but really sort of very mainstream because this happens to Labor and Liberal over the over the last hundred or so years. And so the Greens have... It's interesting to me to see that uh, that that's happened to them when they were only a small number, of course. They stuck together uh, tightly. Uh, and secondly, I think um, uh, it changes the Senate completely, and I think that's been quite underestimated. Before mm -hmm. Lydia sat on the crossbencher, um, uh, David, it was all about David Pocock, um, all, the work, all the effort of uh, lobbyists and others was to see if they could get David Pocock to support the view of whomever they were trying to influence for. And now, of course, that's completely changed because all the crossbenchers are now important because <laughs> they need two votes. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think that's going to really, really change the dynamic in the Senate. Uh, and Labor's had a very good run in the Senate since the election, since July 1, and I think that that has been not well covered yet amongst the commentariat because um, they've been sort of more focused on on the, the, the show business side, I think, of Lydia Thorpe walking out and sitting as an independent and what it means for The Voice. Look, I don't think The Voice is about uh, Peter Dutton and uh, where the coalition ends up, and I think, I think that's wrong. I think The Voice is about making sure that if it goes to a referendum, uh, there is enough bipartisan support for it to pass because I think if it, if it goes to a referendum and fails it will dramatically impact on reconciliation in Australia. Uh, and I think the government should be doing everything in its power. I noticed Anthony Albanese's change of tone this week. Rather than making it into a, you know, um, he said, she said, and, you know, a, a pitched, pitched battle uh, of the old-fashioned political kind, that will certainly kill the voice. And I think what Anthony tried to do this week was say, look, you know, what do we have to do? to get you guys and gals to support it as opposed to we're going to use it as a political weapon. Over summer, I thought it was going very poorly because I could see that it was becoming a political weapon for both sides and that, that would kill the voice because there's no referendum that's passed in this country where there hasn't been bipartisan support in 120 no, that's exactly years. exactly right. But, I mean, just, I don't agree just, with you necessarily. Just, Fran, we've got like a minute to PM, just uh, if you can oh, give it sorry. 20 seconds uh, just to wrap up. Thank you. Oh, no. Well, I think both sides have a say in whether it's bipartisan and Peter Dutton needs to make that clear too, I think. Yeah, but I think the government needs to give them enough detail that they feel comfort. I mean, I'm in favour of The Voice, but I've got to tell you right now, um, there isn't a lot of detail about what it's actually going to be doing, what its powers are going to be. And I think that the, the coalition, you know, some of the people in the coalition don't want to support The Voice, but I think genuine people want to know more detail before they vote on it. We're going to have to leave it there. Fran Kelly, co-host of the Party Room podcast, and uh, Christopher Pine, former Liberal member for Sturt. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to have your analysis on RN Drive. Have a lovely weekend. Always Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Christopher. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.